Hello, this is Comeback, this is Connor, and this is episode 69. My guest today is Ridley, part two. Ridley initially made his Kumbasike debut in episode 50. In that episode, we talked about Ridley's background in Hartlepool, moving to Manchester, Thailand, getting involved in martial arts, and more. Today, we're going to talk about similar topics, but with a slightly different theme focused on teaching. Ridley, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, man. It's good to wear to come on again yeah you're the third person who's come back so i'm glad that i'm managing to retain the guests i suppose yeah 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 so then we did touch upon it last time but for people who didn't listen to episode 50 let's recap then from the early years what was life like growing up in hartlepool uh so hartlepool is basically um a small town in the northeast of england um and it's strange i feel like you've always got to sort of stick to your roots and remember where you came from remember where you grew up and um, I always will but at the same time I think if you always have a small town mindset and take that into your life with you I think it will hold you back I think you've got to sort of move on and broaden your horizons and where I think a lot of people's ambition might be to own a a nice car and and a big house in Hartlepool and that's them happy for the rest of their life that's fine and I hope those people are happy but for me that would feel like I was just being complacent and and not ever experiencing the other things that are out there in the world. And I, I did have a bit of that. I think I said in, in the episode 50 that I always thought Manchester, once I moved to Manchester, like a big city from a small town, Hartlepool, I always thought that Manchester was the centre of the universe. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that I found out that it isn't, and same goes for Hartlepool. Yeah. What were the people like in Hartlepool that you grew up with, say your friends from an early age that you did and hung around with throughout your teenage years? So, um, in my teenage years, I always sort of hung around with older people. I didn't, I did have friends at school and stuff. Uh, like, I wasn't like a, I wasn't one of the rejects. Like, I was, like, I was sort of, um, I did have a good group of friends at school, but as I started getting older, I didn't hang around with them as much. Um, I would at weekends and stuff sometimes, but a lot of the time growing up was spent with my older cousins, um, Christopher and Alan, and Victoria and Gary. So um, I was quite lucky in a way, like when I was 13, Victoria and Gary took me to my first music festival. They took me to a V festival. Oh, that was sweet. Yeah. yeah, and like they had similar music taste to me. Like Gary was really into Radiohead and um, Block Party. Um, I saw Oasis with them. They actually took me two years in a row and I wasn't allowed to go back for the third year. Um, I took a few bottles. I managed to get procure some bottles of uh, Strongbow and White Lightning some homemade punch um, and then in the second year I was supposed to meet them we had umbrellas that were all the same colour so if I got lost because I was only like 13 or 14 at the time yeah. they'd put the umbrella in the air and I'd have to find them and I got really really drunk the second year um, I think I'd have been 14 and I was supposed to meet them for block party and I just remember waking up in a field and it was raining like quite lightly I think I jumped over like the metal railings and I was in the field and it was raining and I woke up and I could hear Block Party playing and I was like, oh no, I've, uh, I think I've messed up here. And then I went and by the time I got there, they'd finished and I didn't see my cousins for hours. And then um, that year, I think it was Fat Boy Slim, Oasis and, no sorry, Fat Boy Slim, Oasis was the year before, it was Fat Boy Slim, Radiohead and Kasabian were, were all playing at the same time so I was like oh who, who do I go see so I sort of like them all yeah yeah 
So um, I think I started making my way over to Kasabian and I just felt someone grab my wrist and I looked and it was Victoria. She was like, where have you been? We've been looking for you all day. She was so angry. So I got dragged to go watch Radiohead and I'm really glad because what an experience seeing Radiohead live at 14 years old. Like it's like I probably wouldn't have the experience to ever see them again now. Yeah, of course. So I'm glad that happened. So yeah, it was good. I spent a lot of time with them. Um, and then my other cousins, Christopher and Alan, they were a little bit different. So they were um, a bit like me in my early 20s, I think, like Jack the Lads. And um, they used to babysit me quite a lot. But whenever they'd babysit me, they'd just sort of buy me like an eight pack of Blue Wicked. And uh, I say a babysit, I was a teenager. They'd buy me a pack of Blue Wicked. And then they'd gone a night out and then they'd bring people back for a party. So like from being a, yo- being a young age, I was around like after parties and stuff and yeah, sure. meeting people. Um, so yeah, I um I knocked about with them quite a lot instead of kids my own age when I was a teenager. Right. Okay. I see. So then that was throughout Hartlepool, as we mentioned on the last episode. You moved to Thailand. Were you twenty five at that point? Uh, it was just before my twenty fifth birthday. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Twenty four. So then, when you moved to Thailand, obviously it's very different hanging out in Hartlepool and Manchester compared to an Asian country. Yeah, yeah. What were the people like that you met in Thailand and hung around with? So um. An an influence as well that I've got to mention uh, from Hartlepool is um, a guy called Darren. He was best friends with my cousin Chris and Alan. They all grew up together. Um, And Darren had been to Thailand previously when he was in his early 20s, so he'd sort of always told me about it. So although I'd never thought of going there, he was someone that I could turn to for advice about going there um, before I went. Obviously, we mentioned in episode 50, it was my my boss Carl that made the offer to send me to, to Thailand at the time. Um, but Darren gave me a lot of advice there. I'm sure I'll mention him quite a few times during this as well because it's sort of thanks to him that I have a degree in computer science. Yeah. Um, he had a computer shop in Hartlepool. So from being like 13, I was his leaflet boy. And then when I was 15, he sort of taught me how to like do virus removal and, and stuff like that. So I, I worked for him a lot of the time when I was a teenager. Um, so yeah, in Thailand, a lot of my friends um, were Thai. That, the only sort of foreign friends I had were um, the Western friends, were friends who I'd met through work. So similar to the agency that we work for in Vietnam, a similar thing but on a slightly smaller scale. Um, so I met a few Westerners through that. Um, I had great friends, uh, Johnny, who I can't wait to see when I go back next year. We had a, a lot of laughs together. And um, another friend called Simon, who is married to a Thai woman called Rin. They have two kids, Jasmine and Jacob. So. It was good that I had um, some solid Westerner friends there to help me when, like I mentioned, I hurt my back and stuff. Simon and Rin recommended a hospital to go to and Rin translated everything, so that was really nice. Um, But the majority of my friends were Thai. So um, I met, I was lifting weight in a gym called Ratchan Gym and I met a girl in there called Tara. She owned her own gym called Six Pack House and I went, there to train one day met all her staff and all the people who trained there and they sort of became my main friends in Bangkok they taught me how to speak Thai taught me about Thai food they'd take me to Thai weddings and Thai functions um, their family had like an import export business in Bang Yai near Bangkok so I'd go to their like um, annual Christmas party and stuff like, it's a Buddhist country they don't really do Christmas but they would have a Christmas party for their staff so that's sort of one of the things I miss about Thailand is that I had local friends who could teach me about local things and values and Thai life and I haven't really had that in Vietnam right I see and so how do you feel the people in Thailand that you met 
and this could also apply to Hartlepool or Manchester, have helped you grow as a person and develop into the character you are now? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful for the people that I've met and the places that I've been, because I think they all make me the man that I am now. And I know I mentioned like tough times uh, on the last episode, but I think just having, um, at the time I may have felt lost, but I've always sort of had good people to keep me on the right track. You know, like if I, I needed a job when I was a teenager, Darren gave me a job. Um, I wanted to go to a festival when I was younger. My cousins took me to a festival. And then during the time when I'd been kicked out of university in Manchester, so I went to MMU, obviously met Tom and Ollie, who I mentioned in the last one. Um, after, towards the end of the year, um, basically I'd applied for student finance. You know, you get a maintenance loan to go yeah, to uni. I do remember. Um, I got a really low maintenance loan because I was in a bit of a weird situation. So I left home, my mum's house, when I was 18. I'd mentioned in the last episode that um, me and my stepdad, Paul, didn't really get on. My biological dad had sort of poisoned me against him once I started seeing him again. Um, so I left my mum's house when I was 18. And um, it was a, a really weird situation. I want to thank these people too. I, I called my friend Ben. I was like, I need somewhere to stay. I, I don't want to live with my mum's anymore. And he was like, right, come to mine. And he was at his dad's. Uh, his parents were separated too. So I went and stopped at his dad's. And then the next day, he went back to his mum's. So I went with him. And then um, I stayed like stayed on a camp bed in his room for a bit. And then uh, I was a pizza delivery boy at the time. So I went and delivered some pizzas. And then I went back to the house one night. And for some reason or another, they'd, they'd been, I don't know, ben, ben decided that he wanted to live at his dad's full time. I was like, oh no, where am I gonna live? And his mum, Carol, was basically like, look, we don't mind having you here. You're more than welcome to stay with us. Uh, so there was his mum, Carol, and his sister, Abby, were like, you're more than welcome to stay with us until you feel like you wanna go back to your mum's or until you find somewhere to live. I was like, oh, thank you. So I basically lived at my, my mate's mum's house with his mum and his sister for a good few months until my mum was like, right, okay, you're being stubborn. And I was being stubborn. like. I should have just went home, but like I said, my, my mind had sort of been poisoned against uh, my stepdad, who I have a great relationship with now. But at the time, I was being very stubborn. I didn't want to go home. So um, my mum was like, right, okay, we'll, we'll get your house sorted. So my mum has some properties anyway that she rents out. So um, she got another house and then me and my friend would rent that off her. So we did. Um, we weren't always reliable with the rent <laughs> and, and we okay. definitely had uh, one too many parties and the house was an absolute state by the time I moved out of it um, and moved to Manchester. So yeah, um, it was just good that I had a good group of friends or, or friends' parents that were there for me when I felt like I was lost and felt like I had nowhere to go. I, I definitely could have gone home <laughs> and been like, all right, I'm sorry, let's get on. But I was too stubborn. I was young. I was 18. I'd my granddad had died. I was angry at the world. I was like probably depressed. Um, I did actually go for a diabetic checkup at the hospital one day. And my diabetic specialist was like, are you okay? I was like, not really. And she recommended me to like a psychologist that was especially for diabetics. So I know, yeah. I, know I mentioned in the last one that there's massive mental health links between diabetes. Um, erratic blood sugar control can make you stressed it can make you anxious um and and like I, i'm fairly certain i was i was depressed you know, i was i'd lost my granddad i was really unhealthy 
Um, I didn't feel comfortable going to my mum's house. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it's good that I had good people like my cousins, my friends, their parents, um, my mum, my nana have been like my rock my whole life as well. Um, my nana calls me a little ray of sunshine. She's got loads of grandkids, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm definitely the favourite. Sorry guys if you listen to this, but I definitely am. And uh, like her and my mum, like like I said last time, because I don't have a relationship with my biological dad or his side of the family. Yeah. My mum's side always went above and beyond to like be there for me. Right, I see. It's good that you've been able to acknowledge all the people that have helped you to this yeah, point. Yeah. I think that's very important with gratitude. Let's move on then to the teaching aspect. You are obviously a teacher now, and you've done so for a few years in yeah, different yeah. countries. I'm planning on doing that in the future. We're going to delve into that. Yeah, yeah. But let's start then when you were at school. What were you like when you were at school? I hated it. I hated yeah. school. Um, I was always pulling a sickie. I was always... Um, I had loads of good tricks. Once I became diabetic, it was a blessing, really, because it was so easy to get sent home from school. Yeah. I'd inject myself with too much insulin and go to the reception and be shaken and test my blood sugar. My blood sugar so low, I need to go home. If I'd have drank a Lucasade, it would have stopped. <laughs> but like, I hadn't been able to stay at school. Yeah, sure. Or I, uh, I had another one where I'd get the the Lancet device that I prick my finger with to test my blood sugar. I'd like prick inside my nose so that I'd get a nosebleed that wouldn't stop. Um, or I'd go to the the in my school. You had to ask to go to the toilet and you had to go down near reception. There was like a it was called the medical room, but it was like a, a disabled toilet. And there'd be a jug in there, and I'd fill the jug with water, and I'd go and pour the jug of water into the toilet. <laughs> and uh, my mum would walk in and she'd just be smirking at me and I'd be sat there trying not to smile and like she'd be at work or there's a few times when she was work- she was a police officer when I was growing up so um, and I got I got some stick for that in Hartlepool too <laughs> they don't like police officers in Hartlepool uh, there was times when she'd have to take me to my nana and granddad who I said supported us quite a lot when I was younger too and she'd be so angry, like, I'm supposed to be at work and you're doing this and there's nothing wrong with you, but I just hated school. I didn't like it. I liked knocking about with older people, like I've mentioned. Um, didn't really have anything in common with people my age. They, like, a lot of the people in Hartlepool, they, they wore tracksuit bottoms, they like rave, they all smoked cigarettes, and some of them smoked, used to smoke joints with resin, and that just wasn't for me. Like, secretly, I still liked skateboard and I, I still liked like rock music and. I was just trying to fit in so I hated it because it was like I was wearing a mask all the time um, so I never thought I would I would be a teacher yeah but um, it just one thing led to another I've had so many jobs when I was 13 I used to work in a clothes shop then I, I was a Saturday um, boy in a, in a restaurant chopping um, starters then I worked for Darren in the computer shop uh, and then I used to work in a when I was 16 I was still at school doing my GCSEs I used to work in a call centre, it was called Garland's, and it was a Talk Talk customer support. And I was 16, I had just got a bank account, I was like, I'm going to get a job. So on weekends, I'd work from 8 to 8 on a Saturday, 8 to 8 on a Sunday. I was getting paid a fortune, because it was weekend hours. Yeah, of course. Like, when I say fortune, it was probably like £700 a month, but for a 16-year-old, that's, that's a lot of money. huge, yeah. So I'd go out on a Saturday night, and I'd like, buy everyone's cider, or buy all the cigs, and like, just to, just to be like... To being, show off. Yeah, yeah, just to show off, yeah, yeah. yeah. But everyone would be like, oh, you're a Garland's bum, because it was, if you were an adult and you worked there, it was seen like a, you know, something you did if you didn't have any qualifications or right, something. Yeah. But I was 16, I was still at school doing my GCSEs, making all this money. And uh, one night I was, I was at home watching a movie, eating pizza, and I knew it was um, the, the Garland's Awards night. Because I was 16, I didn't go, you know, I couldn't, yeah. I did drink at the time, but I couldn't drink, like, wasn't allowed to. 
And I, got, I was in bed, I got a phone call. I was like, James, James, where are you? I was like, I'm at home in bed. Like, you, you've got to come to the Grand Hotel. I was like, what do you mean? And there was like a function room at this hotel. You've got to come to the Grand Hotel. The, the, the CEO, Shy Garland, I think her name was, wants to give you an award for the best newcomer because everything they told me to do, I did. And I was like, top of all the scoreboards, like with the like, lowest rap time. So yeah. like instead of ending the phone, doing all the care notes and then taking another call, I'd be like, one second there, what I'll do, I'll update this for you so that if you ever need a call again, the next person knows to send it to me. And just like, I had the gift of the gab. Cool. So I'd like, um, get win all the incentives on a weekend, like hundred pound of Asda vouchers every weekend, go out like with Nana and Granddad, be like, there you go, there's 50 quid for the shopping. You know, like just showing yeah, up all the yeah. time. So yeah, that's what I did when I was 16. And I went and got that award and like won, won a prize and stuff. That, that was on my CV for years, the best newcomer <laughs> accounts. And then uh, like I worked at um, the technology company in Manchester, which led me to go into Thailand. But all my life, going to work and stuff, I remember I used to, some nights I wouldn't be able to sleep and I'd message my mom and be like, there's, there's got to be more to life than this, just clocking in and clocking out. And, my mum's a really hard worker. She's like got property and she's been a police officer. She's run the, the farm and that was on. She's got shops. And I've always had a good work ethic. And I'm not shy to hard work. Like anything I do, I want to do it properly. But I just felt like something was missing. And I, had, I felt like I was missing out on something and, and I didn't know what that was. Um, and then I went to Thailand to do uh, a tessel um, because my friend Phil had done one um, a few years before. Phil actually ended up working doing the marketing for the Tesla company, but then he was sleeping with all the people who were paying to do the Tesla, so he got fired and sent back to the UK. I was happy because I got my friend back, but uh, yeah, so he was like, right, go and do the the Tesla with, I won't say the the company, I think I said it in the last one, but I don't want to get in trouble. Um, So I went and did it with them, but from day one, I had a big target on my back because they all knew that's Phil's friend. Right, I see, yeah. So, um, obviously, I said in the last one as well that I was sort of the leader of the red team, so there was that combined with the fact that I was Phil's friend and I was just under a magnifying glass for the whole month. Um, so, during the Tesla, they sort of had us, um, once we got like taught how to lesson plan and how to deliver the material, we had to do like um, mock lessons and teach each other as if we can like, pretend they were children. I'm stood in front of this room with people my age and, and I'm trying to jump around like an idiot and I'm thinking, this teaching thing probably isn't for me. And I was panicking, I was like, oh God, what am I going to do? If this doesn't work out, I've left my job in Manchester, I've given my apartment up, I haven't got a degree, I've got no prospects whatsoever, like if this doesn't work, I'm absolutely screwed. So I stuck it out, managed to finish the Tesla, and then in the last week we had to do an English camp to like show that like, we'd done the skills. And this is the moment I fell in love with teaching. Um, we were doing, there was three of us in a team. We were teaching a kindergarten class, it was K1, so the kids are like three. And I had a white shirt on. No one had told me about the notion of undershirts. Um, so obviously when you're teaching in Thailand, it's very humid, it's a tropical climate, you sweat profusely. White shirts go see-through and I'm covered in tattoos. So jumping around, Within like 10 minutes, all the kids are laughing, the Thai teachers are laughing, taking photos of me, and you can see all my tattoos, I'm sweating. And this little girl, she's tiny, she's three years old, she came over, she put her hands in the air like this, I picked her up, and she pointed to the, the little thing where all the little metal cups are hanging on the wall. So I took her over, put her down, she got her metal cup, 
I started filling it up. She's like, no, no, no. She took it. She filled it up. And then she turned to me and held the cup up to me. Oh, and she, Because she saw that I was, like, hot, she thought I needed a drink. Whoa. And it was that second that I fell in love with teaching. I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, she was three. She was three years old. Jesus. Like, little K1 girl in Thailand. And, like, I'd... I think, like, growing up, like, my, my cousins have kids, so, like, my, my uh, cousin Alan has, has kids, Rosie, Bobby, and Al. Um, Chris has loads of kids. Victoria's just had a daughter. Uh, I've got other cousins, Rachel and Jen, they've got kids. Gary, who I've mentioned, has kids. And at the family party, the kids always torture me. And I was like, J-, they all call me Jamesy. Jamesy, Jamesy, Jamesy. And they all just want to be with me constantly. And I am really good with kids. And I think having all that practice with my cousin's children growing up yeah. has been like amazing practice for being a teacher. So it seemed like all the sort of skills that I'd gained from looking after them when they were babies and stuff has like really helped me to be a good teacher and to, to gel with the kids. I am, I don't not immature, but I am like a big kid in myself. Like I still like cartoons and stuff. And, yeah, sure. And like kid movies and um, I like playing games. So that it's easy for me to, to relate to the kids and it feels like this is the first job that I've had where it's it's rewarding not necessarily monetary like I've, I've made obviously more money working for a technology company in in manchester but it's so rewarding and and especially because i didn't have a good relationship with my biological dad growing up what i really like is um there would be kids in thailand who didn't know their dads and normally on a morning the dads like take the kids upstairs take the shoes off for them and hang the bag on the hook like i do that for the kids who didn't know their dads and it was just I absolutely fell in love with the profession and I'm, I'm so glad that everything in the past that happened that might have seemed bad then has obviously steered me on this path to becoming a teacher and I hated school so I, I give my teaching 110% because I want to be the reason that those kids want to go to school yeah. I feel like some of my teachers didn't give a shit so it, I think it's different when you teach in Asia. I think in the UK, and this is no disrespect to anyone that teaches in the UK, say if you did a, a, a fine arts degree or a history degree and you never became a renowned artist or a professor, you'd probably become a teacher. And people are like, oh, they're just a teacher because they didn't make it. I feel like that is a, per- a perception in the UK. And it shouldn't be. Um, because teaching is a very rewarding profession. Some people don't do it to, to, be, to be rich and some people don't want to be famous some people are looking for something more and I feel like teaching has made me a, a better person when I moved to Thailand I was I was 24 but I still felt like a boy when I left Thailand I was a man and I had vision and direction I knew I wanted to go home and finish my degree I knew I wanted to do a postgraduate certificate in education I knew I wanted to get qualified teacher status and it's, it's the first time in my life that I've had direction and purpose outside of martial arts so martial arts yeah, gave me the, um, the the routine and the discipline to stick to something but teaching has sort of been like the like the laser sight that's focused me on what I want to do mm-hmm. and I, I want to make a difference and I want to make people smile and laugh and, and I want to help people change their own lives yeah, uh, sure. the same way that obviously I did a part time degree with the Open University um, but I, I wasn't mature enough to do my degree when I went to MMU in Manchester and that's why I got kicked out and then martial arts gave me the, the discipline to to stick to a degree and here I am six years later and I've got my degree um, I know I mentioned on the last one that I'd got an international school here in Vietnam things have changed somewhat and we'll get on to that yeah of course um, 
but yeah, I'm just I'm glad, I'm I'm glad for the man I am today and the the things that I've experienced really. Yeah, I am going to mention, and we are going to talk about the links between teaching and martial arts. Mm. Before that, though, from what you're saying here, what do you think you've learned about yourself from becoming a teacher? Um, patience really. It's made me much more of a patient person. Um, my mum will always tell everyone, "Be so impatient." And I said, and now I say, like, how can I be impatient when I teach three-year-old kids how to write the alphabet and speak? And yeah, yeah. and she says, you know what I mean, because she hasn't really got a leg to stand on anymore. It's just it it's made me more patient. It's made me more understanding. Um, and I think sometimes in life something might happen. You might get into an altercation with someone, and everybody's sort of fighting their own battle, and everyone's got their own story. And I think seeing how some kids misbehave in school. You know, some days I think, oh, you little shit. But it's usually because something's going on at home or because yeah. something's upset them. And I think that's true with adults too. You know, if like if there's a car that cuts you off on a lane when you're driving or something, like they might be trying to get home to their wife who's sick or like, you just don't know what's going on in other people's lives. And I think teaching has made me more aware of that because of like the kids who misbehave. Um, and also that not everyone comes from a level playing ground. You know, like some of, some of the kids at school don't have their books because their families can't afford them other kids don't have the books because they've donated them to charity and it's just things okay, like that yeah. where like usually like when I first became a teacher I'm like what do you mean you don't have your books which just made me more understanding that people have different reasons for doing things and everything can usually be explained by just talking to them what's, what's going on Yeah. and I think that like I think that's made me more understanding more patient and just giving me a different perspective on life I see what you mean and so what I've just mentioned is there's obviously the martial arts aspect that we mentioned yeah, yeah. on episode 50, huge passion of yours, teaching another huge passion. Yeah. How do the two correlate? How do the two link together in your life? So really they're, they're, they're both education. It's like I am, I am an educator. It's my job to teach children. But then in the evening, I go to be educated. So, you know, I stand in front of my coach or my professor. Like in in jujitsu, if you have a black belt, you call it professor because you essentially have a, a degree, a master's degree in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. And it's just seeing how um, if you follow the process, you'll get there. And it's, it's the same with anything. If you, if you go into anything willing to learn and willing to have your, your viewpoints challenged and, you, and you, you're open, I think that the possibilities are endless. Um, I obviously did Muay Thai for a long time before I went to Jiu-Jitsu. I was like, ah, there's no way these Jiu-Jitsu guys have got anything on me. But once you're on the ground, it's it's totally different. Like you, yeah. like you, all you fought when you're a striker, all your force is produced from the ground. So even when you throw a punch, like you're gripping the floor with your feet, you're rotating your hips, you're rotating your shoulders. The last thing to go is your hand. All comes from the ground. Once you're on the ground, you can't produce force from the ground really but you can but you've got to learn how using leverage and pressure and timing and I think um, I like if when I have kids I'll, I'll want them to do martial arts I won't force them into it but I'll, I'll make them aware how, how good for life it is because if you spend your free time trying to problem solve with the, the threat of being choked unconscious like you, you, you learn how to problem solve under stress and then when you run into problems outside of the gym yeah they just don't seem as stressful and I think I, I, I it's the same when my kids get stressed when they've got to um, my students not my kids but my students get stressed like revising for a test or something it's just I wish 
I wish I could put them through a one hour Muay Thai session and then have like a, a study session with them and just so then just be like, oh, it's not actually that stressful. Right, I see. And I think I, 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 I'm a little bit sad that I'm not going to get to work at the international school that I've got a job at in Vietnam because they're very based on project-based learning and the teacher taking more of a coaching role. And so instead of like standing at the front and lecturing as traditional teaching methods, um, say if there's one topic, the kids will get five weeks to do a project on that topic. So if they're learning about the solar system, you send them away to, to research on, on the internet and learn about that thing and, and do a, a presentation together. That's the type of school I would want to be a part of. Obviously, I've got to go home now. We're, we're going to discuss why. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's they they are very related. At the end of the day, it's education, <coughs> martial arts, and teaching. It's 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 all about education. Mm. And um, I love um the the greatest swordsman that ever lived uh, is a, a Japanese samurai um who's a Ronin no master called Miyamoto Musashi, and he says that the, the warrior's way is twofold of pen and sword. So if you want to be a good warrior, a good fighter, you should also um, be a good student and, and be very good at education. And that's what I sort of like about my double life. Like in the classroom, um, the, the kids obviously all call me Teacher James. But outside of like, as soon as I leave that school, you know, I become, I become Ridley or in, or in Thailand, they call me Titan. Um, and I, I assume that other identity. And I, I like having that dual life. Um, because I think you know it's it's like yin and yang. It's like it's good to have balance. That's it. And a lot of people say to me, "Oh, you don't drink. Like you, you, life should all be about balance." It's like well, partying doesn't like contribute to my goals. Like my balance, yeah, yeah. my balance is <laughs> singing Baby Shark and teaching kids how to do their ABCs, and then listening to metal music and lift, <laughs> lifting weights. It's like that's my balance. That's, balance, that's yeah. my balance. Like te- teaching kids how to be kind to each other and then going to learn how to kill people. Like that. That. That's my balance. That's 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 the two worlds that I like to live in. Yeah, I feel like partying's almost this kind of glorified hobby. It's not really a hobby, but I think you know yeah. something that you do. But obviously, if you have this goal of you know getting involved in martial arts and teaching, maybe it just doesn't fit for you. And obviously, yeah. you have to work out what fits, and then. Yeah. If it doesn't it, take it away. It's hard because when um, when I left Hartlepool, uh, so obviously I'd, I'd been lived in Manchester, um, and then I think I mentioned in episode 50 that Carl let me go back to Hartlepool and work remotely before I moved to Thailand. Yes. So I was in Hartlepool for three months before I moved away, and I'd see people, and they'd be like, what, what are you doing? Mo- moving to, to Thailand? I'd say it as two separate words for some reason. You're moving to Thailand? Like, yes, I'm moving to Thailand. I'm like, what for? because I want to do Muay Thai and I want to become a teacher but the schools and gyms here pardon the, the schools and gyms here what in Hartlepool one of the rainiest towns in the northeast with a population of 90,000 surrounded by people that I've known my whole life I want to I want to go to Thailand but why and they just wouldn't get it yeah and then when I moved home I messaged a lot of my friends who people who I thought were friends like hi I'm back it would be great to see you great to go for food so a big thing for me is like I've got friends all over the world I might not talk to them every day but if I need them I know they're there and if they need me they know I'm there some people I think I think the friendship has to be something that's like every day so I went home and I'd like message a lot of people I hired back home some people replied um, and I went home and I would go in for food with them and like caught up and it was great felt like I'd never been apart um, and some people left me on red and didn't reply and that, and that was fine, 
But then my mum would come home and be like, oh, I saw so-and-so in the supermarket and told them you're home. And they said, oh, is he? And my mum was like, yeah. Uh, they'd give him a message, like, oh, yeah, I will, I will. But I'd already messaged them yeah, and they'd okay. already read the message. Right, so they lied to my mum's face. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I just thought, that's so petty. But one thing I was really happy about is, um, <laughs> and he's like my best friend now. Um, I had a, guy, uh, a friend called Brent. Um, I met him when I was like 16. And uh, I fell into a group of lads who were like all about going out the weekend and shagging and all that stuff. Brent had a girlfriend and a baby when he was like quite young. So I hadn't seen Brent for a long time. I think I used to talk, <coughs> I used to keep in touch with him when I lived in Manchester. But I'd like ring him when I was walking for the bus or something. And then like, mm. right mate, the bus is here, I've got to go, blah, blah. Like, trying to keep in touch with people. And one day he was like, you only ever fucking ring me when you're going for the bus or something. You can fuck off and put the phone down. I didn't speak to him for like three years. And then uh, when I went back, uh, I moved back home after Thailand. And I went to the, the weightlifting gym and I seen him. And I was like, all right, mate. And he was like, gee up, where have you been? Like the, the, the dialect and the accent. Right, the see, yeah. It's just crazy. And like, he shook me and I said, oh, let's go, let's go for a scran. Like, let's go for some food. So we went, we had food, and then we'd go out for food together every week. And then uh, when I decided to do jiu-jitsu, he rang me, he was like, do you want to go for a scran? I said, oh, I'm actually going to try Brazilian jiu-jitsu tonight. It's like on a Friday night. It's a free eight-week beginner course. A guy called Lee put it on. Who I, I call I call my jits dad because he uh, he taught me for the first time. He was a purple belt at the time. He's a brown belt now, at the gym, and he was putting on a, a free a free beginners course on a um, Friday night. It was called the Unbroken Project. It was for like mental health. So uh, Brent went, oh, I'll give that a go. Like I said, oh, come on then. So I picked him up and we went through. Yeah, we did our first jujitsu class together. And then that was it, we were hooked. So like, instead of going out and spending 40 quid on a meal every week, yes. we spend 40 quid a month on jiu-jitsu and seeing each other four, four nights a week. So um, just before I moved to Vietnam, we got promoted to blue belt together on the same night by our like head coach, Sean, who's a second degree black belt. Not only did he promote me and Brent to blue belt, Lee, who was our first instructor, got promoted to brown belt on the same night as well. Oh, wow. So it was really, it was like really sort of monumental part of my jiu-jitsu journey. And um, Brent can't wait for me to go back to the UK. <laughs> it's like when it was lockdown, uh, I went and locked down with someone in, in Wigan for three months who I was kind of seeing at the time. And then when they allowed it that you could have a support bubble, Brent rang me and was like, you've got to come back to Hartlepool, you're my support bubble. So I went back and we bought some mats and we matted out his garage and we put a punch bag up and we got some Muay Thai kick pads and we downloaded loads of Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructionals and we just do jiu-jitsu together in Brent's garage. So um, he's excited for me to go home um, and see him again. I'm really looking forward to seeing him because he's still been doing jiu-jitsu there and I've been doing it here. And it got to the point where whenever we'd have what we call a roll, is like when you're sparring at jiu-jitsu, it was just like a stalemate. Like we yeah, got sure. to the point where we couldn't tap each other out. That's good. But now he's still been training, and I've come here and learned sort of a different style from the Brazilians, Lewis and G, uh, and Corey and Paul, the Americans who I've been training with. So it'd be interesting for us to have a role and see like where we're at now. Yeah. Okay. But we do it. Um, we call <laughs> we call it soul taking. So because we're so competitive with each other, me and Brent, whenever we tap the other one. We're like, ah, I took your soul. And we get it from, do you know David Goggins? Yes, He I says do. it. He's I like, do, when, yeah. when you defeat someone, you, you took the soul. You don't even have to beat someone. It's just, if they can't beat you, yeah. you see the look on their face, like, ah, I took that guy's soul. And on the on the wall of Brent's carriage, we wrote souls, Ridley Brent. And we mark them off whenever we tap each other. So it'll be, uh, I keep telling him, I'm going to come home, I'm going to take your soul. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. That'd be a nice catch-up. Are you quite glad, then, that you went to Thailand, came back, and maybe the people that you thought were your friends, you had a slightly different relationship? Are you glad that that all turned out the way it did? Yeah, absolutely, because I think um, it, it, it sort of showed me what true friendship is, like... Um, someone tried to break into my mum's garage a few weeks ago and like I just sent the video to Brent I was like do you recognise this guy I, like, I think I do you know like that's that's what friendship is to me I want to know who's going to look after my parents or help yeah, my parents okay. when I'm not there I want to know like um, I don't know like if if one of my cousin's kids has a problem at school I want to know who's going to find out who the parents are and have a word with the parents like that's what friendship is to me Friendship to me isn't like people lying to my mum in the supermarket pretending that they don't know I'm home, um, which is just bizarre. So yeah, I, I am glad. Um, I must mention as well, so just before I moved to Thailand, uh, I went to get my left sleeve started on my arm in a tattoo shop called Studio IX in Manchester. It was just before, like it was literally three days before I left Manchester. And the artist was called Liam and he owned the shop. And... Um, we're like putting music on, we had all the same music taste and that and he's a like proper man cue and he's like, How long have you lived in Manchester? I was like five years. Like, Can't believe I only just met you now and you're moving to Thailand. And at the time I still had like long longish black hair. And he was like, You know who you look like? And everyone used to say I look like Oz of American Pie. So at the time it was hundred and ten kilos I, I I took steroids at the time. Uh, I was 110 kilos of muscle, I had like slightly longer hair, and he was like, you look like Oz of American Pie, you're mad you, and I was like, alright, cool, and like loads of people used to say it all the time, um, I'm definitely not good looking enough to look like Oz of American Pie, but everyone used to say it for some reason, and he was like, oh, when you move to Thailand, like, stay in touch, and I just thought, like, tattoo artists say that all the time, yeah, you never course. see them again, yeah. but I did, I kept in touch with him, and then um, when I moved back to England, I went to get the next session on my sleeve, and he was like, I told him all my stories. He was like, I'm coming to Thailand with you. I was like, all right, yeah, nice one. But I'd go every month and he'd do more tattoos on my uh, arm. And then he started doing my uh, slip knot tattoos on my leg. And he was like, I'm coming to Thailand with you. So 2019, me and Liam went to Thailand together. Yeah, sure. like, I, I went for eight weeks and he came for the first three. Because when I lived there, uh, I lived and worked in Bangkok. Like I went to Phuket. I went and trained in Pattaya. Um, I saw a few places. But I didn't travel as much as I wanted to. So when me and Liam went, we travelled the whole of Thailand. Only never spent more than two nights in the same place. After three weeks, he flew home, uh, and I went to to Phuket to train at AKA Thailand and get ready for a fight. My fight got cancelled in the end. I was fuming. Then <laughs> uh, so yeah, and then when I flew back, I went to see him again, and he finished my sleeve, and he was like, and we've just been like best mates ever since. So um, he is obviously now I'm not staying in Vietnam he was either going to come here or Thailand wherever I was in a year's time so I'm going to go home um, I'm going to me and Liam are getting a flat together I'll explain where when we sort of talk about future goals and stuff um, so we're going to live together for a year and then move to Thailand so it's just sweet. crazy how I met this guy who did my tattoo three yeah. days before I left Manchester who I'd never seen before after living there for five years and now he's like one of my best friends we're going to live together yeah that's crazy so I do want to move on to you know where you're going to go in the future we are going to talk about that but first let's kind of wrap up with the teaching what advice would you give to somebody thinking about becoming a teacher but slightly unsure do it do it do but do your online tessel and go 
or do what I did and book like a month's tessel where there's going to be 30 people plus who are in the same boat as you moving to a new country from America, from South Africa, from Australia. You're going to meet people from all over. And if you, like me, grew up in a small town and always felt like you never really fit in, you will then go to a different country and meet people exactly like you with the same interests and the same tastes. And you will realise that it's not you that's weird for not fitting in in your hometown because you fit in anywhere else in the world. Yeah. It's everyone else in your hometown who's weird because if you put them anywhere else in the world, they'll think it's weird and they'll just want to go back home. Yeah, so just do it. Take the leap. It is quite daunting. Um, I had Obviously, the last at the end of episode 50, I asked people to reach out. And a lot of people reached out and I'm so happy that they did. And that, that's what's made me want to come back on. Um, people I know who, who are going to move to Thailand with their brother in in, um, in September. So Thailand is opening up uh, Phuket as, as a sandbox to vaccinate tourists in July. So I highly recommend getting your vaccine. As soon as I go home, I'm going to do my quarantine. I'm going to get my vaccine. I'm diabetic. I have been on borrowed time since I was 10 years old. I have to get a flu job every year. I have to get a pneumonia job every five years. I have to have five insulin injections every day to stay alive. I'm on borrowed time. If you're worried that Bill Gates is going to put a microchip in your COVID vaccine, you need to get rid of your mobile phone first because your mobile phone tracks everything. The microphone's accessible all the time. The video's accessible all the time. Stop being ridiculous. Get your COVID vaccine. Let's get the world back to normal. So my advice would be, if you're thinking of teaching, get your COVID vaccine head to Phuket in Thailand in July and you will never look back. Um, and if you do, you go home and you're back where you started. You're not taking a backward step. Absolutely. The only thing you regret is not trying. Do it. I didn't think I liked it for the first week. Stick it out until you teach real Thai kids and I guarantee you will fall in love with teaching just like I did. So then let's move on to the UK. Obviously, last time we spoke, um, you had your two-year job in Vietnam. That has now changed. Do you mind telling me then what's changed and what is happening back in the UK? So a few things really. Basically, what I did was I lined up three solid options for in like in January. So when Thailand closed its borders last year, I decided I'd stay in the UK and do a postgraduate certificate in education um, to, to get qualified teacher status and be a inverted speech marks uh, real teacher. So. Um, I got accepted and then because my degree transcripts hadn't been printed or issued yet, they were like, oh, well, unfortunately, we can't get you a loan, so you'll have to come back next year. Oh, like, brilliant. So I was complaining on Instagram. One of my friends, Sean Dev, replied. He was like, oh, I can get you to Vietnam. So I came to Vietnam to gain another year's teaching experience so I can go home and do my PGCE. Ended up really liking Jaboya, the gym that I train at here. So I was like, right, okay, what I'll do, I'll set up three options, one for Thailand, one for Vietnam, one to go back home, and then depending on the COVID situation around June time, I'll make a decision. So my friend Simon, who I mentioned earlier, who's married to the, the Thai woman in Thailand, he's a head teacher at a school that I used to teach at in Thailand, and there's an assistant head position. So he was like, look, if you want to come back to Thailand, you can be my assistant head. So I was like, right, that's one option. I applied to all the universities again, who basically said, thank you, but come back next year. Um, I got an unconditional offer from MMU, <laughs> but I am still quite stubborn. I thought, if I wasn't good enough for you at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. So I rejected their unconditional offer, and I accepted an offer from Liverpool Hope University. 
Um, so that was in the pipeline. And that would be to become a qualified computer science teacher. Mm. So my, my um, degree is computer science. Um, I did my dissertation, my dissertation project was really interesting. I did, um, I have a sensor called the Freestyle Libra for my diabetes. I basically redesigned the Libra application to um, enhance user experience and, and reduce the likability of hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar. Um, so I'm basically sort of fusing my passion for, for computer science with my love of teaching um, and sort of seeing if that feels even more fulfilling than, than teaching English. If it doesn't, I'll go back to teaching English. And then I applied to international schools here in Vietnam and I got a, a two-year contract at a really nice school, which is project-based learning, like I said. And now it's sort of decision time. So 60% of the UK is vaccinated, gyms are open again, schools are gonna be open. In Vietnam at the moment, schools are closed, gyms are closed. And I need those things to sort of feel fulfilled in my life and feel yeah. purpose. Same with Thailand, the COVID situation in Thailand isn't very good. Yes, they're gonna open Phuket as a sandbox, but that's in July. My visa in Vietnam expires on the 3rd of June. So it was like, right, you've got to sort of follow the omens that, that life gives you. Um, I don't know if you've read the book, The Alchemist. Um, it, it's all- Should be somewhere, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, got it there. It'll be here, yeah, somewhere. Uh, so it's all about following omens and, and sort of signs that life throws at you. I think the fact that COVID is bad in Thailand and uh, Vietnam, and the fact that once I got offered the job in Vietnam, I went on the student finance on the website and tried to like withdraw my loan application. It was like, oh, yeah. you've got to call us to do it. And I couldn't call them for a Vietnamese number. I was like, oh, I just won't go. Thankfully, that's the case because yeah. I would have withdrew my application. So I think the fact that COVID's bad here and in Thailand and the fact that I'm still able to go to uni in the UK, yeah, it's like, yeah, I think I've got to take that option. So um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be going home on the 3rd of June. Um, I land on the 4th, my mum's going to pick me up at the airport, I've got to stay at her house for 10 days, COVID test on day 2, COVID test on day 8, I'll be getting my first vaccine jab as soon as I can, waiting to get my second jab, and then I'll be moving to close to Liverpool, um, so Liam currently works in a tattoo shop in Wigan, because we're moving to Thailand together, he sort of sold up his business in Manchester, mm -hmm. Studio IX, he's now working in Alchemy Tattoo in Wigan, I highly recommend um, you check out him on check him out on instagram liam ix new if you're in the uk and you want a tattoo he's, he's fantastic um i'm a testament of, it, of his artwork I'm covered in it um so yeah we're gonna live together either in wigan or warrington so we sort of in the middle of manchester so we can still go see our friends mm, and yeah. so i can get to to uni uh in liverpool and then i'll be placed in a secondary school in liverpool teaching computer science okay cool so um within eight i actually get a twenty-four thousand pound tax-free bursary from the uk government too which is nice yeah so um i've got a few ideas what i want to do with that money to sort of set up a business or two and, and get like a passive income and i just want to move back to thailand like vietnam has been a great experience and i'm, I'm very very thankful but in my heart i know that I want to be in Thailand. I want to see my Thai mum again. I want to go see my old my uh, old students. I want to see Simon and Johnny. I want to see my Thai friends and go back to those Christmas parties of the company. And I know in my heart Thailand is where I belong. And I know that I've got to thank Thailand and Thai people so much for for helping me heal. Like when when I moved to Thailand, I was yeah I'd done Muay Thai for two years, but I was still a, a very broken person. I, mean, I was still grieving over my granddad. I was still. Um, in a in a bad headspace because I've been through a breakup and I just I think 
Thailand is like a catalyst for me to, to become a better person and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to being dipped back into that and seeing what the, the next iteration of me looks like. I see. So that's almost the future covered. As we come to the end of the conversation, I'd just like to ask you, with, we've done the 50 and now the 69, have you got any final thoughts, anything you want to add from what we've spoken about either in episode 50 or now? Anything that you'd like to leave as the end for where you want to go, maybe in the future or anything? Yeah, so um, my my obviously my goals have slightly changed. Um, I want to become a qualified computer science teacher. I want to get qualified teacher status, and then I'll be looking to do my NQT uh, um, at, at a school in Thailand. And I sort of I want to build a life for myself in Thailand. Like it would be nice to settle down there and have a family of my own. I'm getting on a bit now. I'm thirty this year. Okay. Yeah. So it'd be nice. I'm not not rushing every, anything, but like it would be nice to sort of get a job in a nice international school in Thailand as a computer science teacher. Um, I've got an idea. Like I just mentioned, I've got I've got an idea. I think me and Liam have got an idea for a project that we want to work on together. Um, me and Brent also have an idea for something else we'd like to do. So yeah, I'm just I'm constantly just trying to better myself and focusing on my, my short term goals, my medium term goals and my long term goals, which I mentioned last time. And um I would I would like to, to do more things like this and and appear as a guest on more podcasts and sort of become you know, it'd be nice to be like an advocate for, for, for diabetic mental health and be able to, to push martial arts as a as a, a means to deal with diabetes as a medical condition. Yeah. And as a means to deal with mental health. Um, and I just again a, another similar offer at the end of episode 50 if anyone I know from, from my past uh, even if you're a stranger my Instagram is at my name is Ridley that's M-U-A-Y name is Ridley um, if you're going through anything at the moment and you need someone to chat to give me a call send me a voice note send me a message if you would like any advice on how to become a teacher maybe if you're feeling like you haven't got much direction at the moment and you, and you want to, to know how to get into education, speak to me about that. I, I did a part-time degree whilst working in Thailand as well. Um, if you want any advice on life in Vietnam, I've not been here very long, but I'm sure I could give you an interesting perspective and point you in the right direction of, of the guys at Chuboya who've helped me a lot. Anything at, anything at all that I can help with, feel free to drop me a message and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Okay. In terms of my own future, I'm not sure where I'm going next. I'm going to be in Vietnam another year, mm-hmm. so we probably won't be able to do this in person anytime soon for round three. But Ridley, definitely in the future, I'd love to do a round three. Maybe it'd be in a year or so, if, I'm, if you're in Liverpool and I'm back in Manchester home, I'd love to yeah. chat then. I'd love yeah. to chat via Zoom. And yeah, as I said in the last episode, it was one of the most popular and there's a reason for it. And definitely in the second one, I've again really enjoyed chatting. So all the very best, mate. Really appreciate it. Champion. See you again.